Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. My name is Clay Newcomb, and I'm the host of the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of North American wilderness, the bear. We'll talk about tactics, gear, conservation, but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bear. Welcome to the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. We're at the global headquarters today, and we are going to be talking about our gear list for going on a spring do-it-yourself hunt in Montana. Okay, so this podcast is going to be uh, pretty technical in terms of the gear that we use, what we're going to be. We're just going through a list, and basically we're going through my personal packing list for going out west and uh, so that's what we're going to be doing. I've got with me in the office Colby Moorhead. I introduced Colby a couple of podcasts ago, but Colby works for Bear Hunting Magazine now full time. So Colby is uh, Colby's doing all kind of stuff for us. Um, he's Ryan Greb named him the Bear Hunting Magazine Bear Tech. I call him my tech nerd. <laughs> Well, how would you describe your how how would you describe your job here, Colby? You've been here for two almost two months almost now. Almost two months, yeah. Uh, see a need, fill a need. <laughs> see a need, fill a need. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I don't yep. know that you could put it in, in a title. Maybe Bear Tech is the best thing. Yeah, You're just I like a Bear it. Tech. I mean, pretty much the goal of Bear Hunting Magazine is to promote conservation and bear hunting and best practices inside of bear hunting. So. 
that's pretty much what you yeah. you support all underlaying foundational things inside of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting though is just today Colby Moorhead learned that he's going to Montana with me. <laughs> oh, man. My legs aren't even Arkansas ready yet. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Man, really, I threw a wrench at Colby this morning. But I have, to give a little bit of background before we start into this gear list, I've been to Montana on a do-it-yourself hunt two different times. I believe 2015 and 2017, I went to Montana. The first Montana hunt that I did was I took my wife with me and we did a backpack hunt. We back we packed back in and so we were only using gear that we could carry on our packs. My pack was about 55 to 60 pounds. Her pack was about 40 pounds and we hiked back in about 5 miles and stayed for 5 days, okay? Never came out. That was pretty that was our first big step into western backcountry hunting. The second hunt that I did was in 2017, I believe, and I went with Jim Sessions of Best of the West Rifles and Huskama Optics, and we used his mules and horses to pack in. And so each of us had uh, an animal that we rode, and each of us had an animal that carried all our gear. And so we got to carry a lot more gear. Typically, an equine animal that you're packing can carry between I mean, as much as 200 pounds of gear, usually more like 150 pounds of gear. And so all of a sudden, your limitations for what you could bring become a little bit more luxurious when you've got equine animals. Mm-hmm. So there, I, I want, I'm getting around to why you're going with me, Colby. The, so I've been planning this hunt in my mind for a long time, and I needed... I wanted somebody to film. I mean, I, I want to make a film for the YouTube channel. I also want somebody that's able to take photography, you know, take photos and do stuff for the magazine, obviously. Um, but uh, th- the main thing is that I didn't know exactly when I was going to go. I mean, I, I just kind of refused to just like pick an arbitrary date on the calendar and just go, I'm going to go this week. And most normal people that have normal jobs that you want to go hunting with, you have to have some pretty significant prep time. And I just couldn't do that because it was weather dependent. And there was a many other variables on a business side of it that I, I didn't know when I was going to leave. Right. And so Colby Moorhead works for me now. <laughs> so, uh, Colby was Mr. Flexible yeah. inside of this deal. And, uh, and Colby and I have hunted together before, but this will be the first big do-it-yourself Western deal. Mm-hmm. And um, so th- th- that's a primary reason. Colby may end up with a bear tag. I mean, we're going to get up there and assess the situation. When Misty and I went up there in 2015, both of us bought tags, you know, $350 tags, and we and neither one of us ever had a shot at a bear. So Colby's going with me. I'm going to have a tag um, if we get into some bears and feel like success is probable, you know, we may go back into town, get him a tag. We realize he's got to wait 24 hours before he can hunt, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll just see. Um, the The way that I'm hunting is, and I wanted to talk about this. I've I, and I mentioned this on my podcast the other day. 
is that I've got two buddies up in Montana that have kind of helped me find some areas and have kind of given me a leg up a little bit on finding locations. Well, not a little bit. I mean, they pretty much said, hey, this is the region you need to go in. And um, they're, they're locals, and they're having success on bear. They are killing bears pretty regularly themselves or people that are up there around them um, by walking roads and just glass and clear cuts and being mobile, okay? Mm-hmm. So they're not doing this backcountry deal where they're going way back in. I mean, they're pretty much driving around in the evenings and glass and cuts and going – you know, hopping around to a lot of different locations trying to find a bear. The last time that I went, I kind of fell in love with the style of hunting that we did, which was an equine-based backcountry hunt. And that is what I want to do. That is, that's the way that I want to kill a bear in Montana. So last year, we went up there, and we didn't kill a bear. We hunted for six days and, and never had opportunity at a bear for the second time in a row. And so my buddies are like, Clay, you're doing this wrong. If you stayed in a hotel and drove around in your truck, you could probably kill a bear a lot easier. And uh, I'm not putting that, I'm not above that in any way. But I've also, I just, the older I get, the more I want to do things in a certain way. And to me, a backcountry do-it-yourself hunt using these these mules that I've got, these animals, to me, would be really significant. And uh, so I've kind of made a decision that's the way I want to do it. Or, and, and uh, you know, because to me the West is so iconic of using equine animals for hunting. And uh, actually when I first got Izzy, the mule that I've currently got that I'll be riding, I, you know, I, I trained her from scratch. And the whole idea, you know, when I got her, I envisioned taking her to Montana. And obviously, I use her mostly here in Arkansas, but I envision taking her to Montana, and uh, and that vision has not died. Some things evaporate, <laughs> some dreams evaporate, and some do not. Yeah. And that dream has not evaporated. And uh, so, we're going to Montana, and we're we're borrowing a mule from my buddy Trey Autry. Yeah. Now you've have you ever met Trey? No. No. He was on the podcast, but you weren't here when he was here. Yeah, he's yeah. a squirrel hunter. Yeah, so Smokey. So if you if you watched our our killer squirrel hunting video called Hundred Dollar Squirrel, Trey Autry is uh he rides a mule named Smokey. Mm-hmm. Colby, you will be riding Smokey. Yeah, yeah. Trial by fire. I get on a mule the first time, and we're going up a mountain. <laughs> Man, you're perfect. You're you're you don't have a family. Yeah. Right. Okay. You know, so it's kind of like you're, you know, indispensable. I guess is that the right word? Is that the word I'm looking for? I don't know about that. Okay. <laughs> it, it's kind of like it doesn't matter if he comes home or not. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Now the reason we we put you on Smokey, and I t- I've been na- I've been negotiating with Trey all morning, not negotiating. He was like, heck yeah, you can take him, yeah. but we got to get him shod before next mm-hmm. week. There's a few things, but Smokey's super safe. He's yeah. like 15 years old. Yeah. Pretty short. Um, Colby's not the tallest guy in the room. No, no. And I'm not very tall either, so if that tells you anything. <laughs> I don't have to duck a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> so Smokey is like probably 13 hands, 13 and a half hands, and he's kind of a deadhead. And so we don't need speed out there. Mm-hmm. We just need we need sure-footedness and just forward movement. Yeah. So uh, – 
and uh, Smokey and Izzy have, have traveled quite a bit together, so they'll do good. So, um, well, and, and the the other reason that you had to be pulled into this so quickly was my buddy Brent was going to go with me. Yeah. Okay? And just in the last 48 hours, there's been another bear hunt planned this spring that Brent is going to go with me on. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's like all of a sudden this Montana trip had a hole in it. I needed somebody. So I was mm-hmm. like, Colby, let's go. Yeah, because this was the flexible trip too. Yeah. Yeah, this was the flexible trip. So it's going to be super fun. we got a lot of work to do between now and, and when we leave. But uh, but this podcast is going to actually help us as we think about planning. Yeah. Um, Seems natural. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I want to start off by saying that I'm not a gearhead. Colby kind of is. Yeah. Am I right? I've ventured into it. Yeah. Haven't I mean, you're much. you're pretty technically – I mean, like you enjoy – like searching out the gear and yeah. looking at different products yeah. and the really, yeah, 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 a lot of podcasts, yeah, yeah, a lot of YouTube. And see, I'm the exact opposite of that. Like, uh, I'm a minimalist at heart, but at the same time, I think I've been pretty effective with the gear that I use on these back, not just backcountry like these two do-it-yourself deals, but I mean, I've 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 hunted a lot. Uh, traveling and hunted a lot in the last five years and backcountry hunted here in Arkansas. And you don't want to be limited by your gear. I I think that's, that's the thing. And that's what I live by is I, as I never want my gear to be a reason for not being successful. So even though I don't enjoy the technical side of gear stuff, I I mean, I, I, I can navigate my way through it. And typically what I do is just buy the absolute best stuff possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's just a good good way to go. But I do believe it's a lot simpler than people make it sometimes. Yeah. I think sometimes people enjoy, like you, Colby, enjoy gear stuff. And so you talk a lot about it. And to somebody who doesn't enjoy gear stuff, then it becomes like stressful. It's yeah. like, well, I had no idea that there were so many options for freeze-dried meals. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with what I've got. You know, so so – I think sometimes it can be confusing for somebody who doesn't like gear to listen to a podcast where they just dissect like two different types of gear for three hours. Yeah. It's just like, hey, man, tell me which is the best one and mm-hmm. I'll get through it. Yeah. And so there's kind of a rugged mentality of being a minimalist that I think is good, but also there's something really good to be said for somebody that's really good at planning mm-hmm. and strategizing and getting the best gear. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't think either one of those positions is superior to the other, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, so what we're going to, what we're going to talk about, we've got a list here of stuff. And I told Colby before we started this, that I didn't want us to just like make a gear list for a spring bear hunt, just like off the internet, just like reading, saying this would be a good idea. Like I really went through and thought about the things that I bring and, uh, and because I, I've never gotten out in the woods and wished I had something different. I really haven't. Or, 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 or got out there and realized that there was some massive hole in my gear list. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Um, so that being said, this gear list would be, this could easily be put into a back backpack hunt. I mean, like, you don't have to have mules to do what we're going to do. Honestly, when we pack up our mule, 
we will prob we're just packing with one equine animal. The other one will be ridden. Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to have two animals, and uh, both of them are going to have riding saddles on, but one is going to have a panniered. And the one that we pack on will probably have 150 pounds of gear. So let's just say 75 pounds of gear between the two of us. And all you'd have to do to get that down to that 50 to 60 pound range would be just shed a few things that were kind of extracurricular, which will probably end up being food and drink. Okay. Yeah. So we'll have the liberty to probably bring, you know, some sodas or some Gatorade or something if we wanted to, you know, and didn't want to like mix powder. I mean, we'll have a little bit more liberty, but I'm saying that to say that this – all this stuff is still the same stuff that I would take if I was carrying stuff on my back. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But we will have some liberty to take more stuff if we if we want to. Um so one of us will be walking and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say that again one of us. <laughs> no, we can switch off, but where we're the one place we're planning to go it's about 5 miles back in and uh we can easily switch off like somebody will be leading a mule somebody to be walking but you won't necessarily have a big heavy pack on while you're walking you know yeah um and we're also carrying camera gear we're carrying 40 pounds of extra camera gear that most people wouldn't be taking so does that make sense yep is that fair yep okay well um let's start right here at the top of my list is weaponry and i want to talk about uh what the kind of gun that i'm going to be taking in montana i've had some people interested in that and what we're going to carry just one gun even if both of us are hunting i mean even if colby buys a tag we'll just have this one gun and what i'm shooting right now is a best of the west hunter elite 300 wind mag okay this is uh with with a with a huskamaw 2 by 20 by 50 scope this to me is a super good bear gun for black bear or brown bear. 300 wind mag is probably on the on the smaller side of the scale for what you would want to use for brown bear, but is fully capable and has the ballistics and has has everything it needs for brown bear hunting. So it's it's a gun that would span the span a pretty wide swath of North American big game, okay? But if you were going to if you're going to Kodiak and we're going to be, you know, hunting 10-foot brown bears and going to have shots under 100 yards, I mean, maybe you would take a different big bore, shorter-range gun. But 300 Wind Mag would do it 100%. All right. Yeah. Um, now, have you ever seen my Best of the West Hunter Elite? Not in person. Not in person. Yeah. I need to go get it show it to you. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this gun. I'm shooting, uh, well, the gun is 9.25 pounds. It's a has a fluted stainless steel barrel with a Cerakote finish. So the the barrel is actually black, but it's stainless underneath that. So it has a Cerakote finish. Um, it has a Best of the West 700 style action with a Timney trigger. So these guns are built in Cody, Wyoming. Every pretty much every component is built in Cody, Wyoming. I'm not sure if they. If they build their their uh, stocks there, but they have them built for Best of the West, they build the actions there, they build the barrels there, they build everything there, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they now like a Timney trigger that is a custom long range high end trigger. Like you could go if you were going to trick out one of your guns, 
yeah. you could put a Timney trigger on it. Yeah. And uh, there's several really good triggers. Jewel and Timney are two of them. Um, you can get it. You can get a Jewel trigger on some of the Husqvarna guns, but this one has the Timney trigger, which yeah. basically the Hunter Elite is. Let me talk about the the best of the West system. Is that you purchase this gun from them, and it is out of the box a absolute sniper rifle. They've they've sighted the gun in. They've broke the gun in. It's been shot. It's been uh, the the scope has been. I mean, it's totally been sighted in in a custom turret built on the Huskamas scope. So I mean, you could literally get it in the mail and pick it up, and it's this gun is guaranteed accurate out to seven hundred yards. So the beautiful thing about Huskamas scopes is I'm not a gun guy. I'm not a technical gun guy. I've learned my way around a little bit the last several years. But most scopes are, well, first of all, do you know what a custom turret is? Mm-hmm. Tell us what a custom turret is. Yeah, it's where they calibrate it so that you can dial in, like, your yardage and, you know, everything. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's so it's what it is is it's, like, typically inside of – Scopes. If you're you would you would zero in the scope at 200 yards. That means yeah. at 200 yards, it's hitting dead on. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're shooting at 300 yards, you have to calculate the holdover. Yeah. If you're at 400 yards, you calculate the holdover. I mean, by the time you get to 600 yards, you might have a 24 inch holdover. Yeah. And so that's where the error comes in. The 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 human error involved in holdover holdover is eliminated by having a custom turret because you dial the turret to the yardage of the target mm-hmm. and you put the crosshairs directly on it so there's no holdover last year i borrowed a gun in manitoba and it was a gun that did not have a huskama scope on it and <clears throat> it was my father-in-law's gun it was a muzzleloader and yeah. he had a little chart taped onto the side of his gun that had holdover yeah you know at 300 yards eight inch holder 400 yards, 16-inch holdover. And, man, I mean, if you practiced, you could get fairly proficient. Yeah. But you guessing how far, you know, at 600 yards, and this muzzleloader was accurate out to that far, ridiculously high-precision muzzleloader. Yeah. But, I mean, think about holding over four feet at 600 yards. You guessing what four feet looks like at a target 600 yards away. I mean, massive probability of human error. So a custom turret takes that away. The reason Huskama is different is that its turret is the only turret that has yardage rather than MOA. Oh, so really? minute of angle, yeah. So like any any uh, it, they have it patented mm-hmm. because so on my custom turret it has yardage. I mean you you range find a bear and he's at four hundred yards, you dial it to four hundred. Yeah. Typically, what you would do is you would range it to four hundred yards. And then you would have to calculate the MOA and dial to it. And, gotcha. and I, I've never had a scope like that, so somebody may correct me. But basically, scopes are MOA, and you you understand you understand how much a minute of angle is, and you calculate it basically. Yeah, your other rifle that you already had, didn't you put a Husqvarna on it? Yeah, well, I've got a big bore gun, a four fifty seven Magnum. Yeah, and I put the Husqvarna one by six. Tactical scope on it. Yeah, it's a it's a six power, and um, it uh, it, let's see. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a six power 
the little bitty tactical scope. Yeah. Does that dial in too? Yep. It's yeah. it's what you do is you gather data. So if you so like my hunter elite came fully ready to roll. Yeah. Okay. But if you want to take one of the guns that you have and put a Husqvarna scope on it with a custom turret, all you do is gather ballistics data. So basically, you go to the range with a chronograph. You shoot the top of you. You have to have already decided what type of bullet you want to shoot. You shoot it through the chronograph, and then you measure the drop at three different distances, basically. Yeah. So you like say, and you tell them this. You say the gun is zeroed at a hundred yards, and it dropped eight inches at two hundred, and it dropped six, you know, eighteen inches at three hundred, and basically they do all the the physics of bullet drop, and from those three things and barometric pressure and temperature and i mean they take a bunch of things that just fine-tune this calibration but those are the three main things is that how fast is that bullet flying and how much drop does it have at two different distances and from that data they build a custom turret that's built for your gun it's pretty cool yeah it's it's super cool so that's the gun that i'm going to be using um my that 300 wind mag i'm shooting a 220 excuse me, 212 grain Hornady ELDX bullet, okay, which uh, it's shooting out of that gun. When we chronoed it, I think it was mainly in the 2,700 feet per second range, but the internet says it should be shooting about 2,800 feet per second. I think when you, it's interesting, I, I wouldn't have known this except for several guns that now I've gathered data for Huskama for my guns. Um, well, I take that back. I take that back. No, we didn't gather data for this one. Yeah. We gathered data for a different gun. This gun should be shooting 2,800 feet per second. Yeah. Yeah. That's smoking yeah, it's fast blazing. Yeah. for a 212-grain bullet. Yeah. Smoking. So, good bear gun. Um, in, do you have any questions on that or, or no. comments? No. No, it's a heavy bullet. Hey, and there's no way around it. The, the best of the West guns are... I mean, I think that Hunter Elite starts at around five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, but man, that's a lot of money. But it's also an incredible weapon that you know, unless you have a lot of technical skill, a lot of time, and you're going to have a hard time building a gun that good, you know. Um, okay, weaponry. Two other things that I'm going to categorize in weaponry. Colby, I carry a Glock 10 millimeter as a sidearm. Um, a 10 millimeter has quite a bit of knockdown power for a smaller handgun. I don't want to carry a monster handgun. Yeah. Um, so I carry a, a Glock 10 millimeter. Isn't that what a lot of uh, police carry? Well, it's it's got more knockdown power than a 40 cal and a 9 millimeter, and it's a pretty hefty bullet. You know, bigger than the 357, yeah. uh, or more, more, more power. Yeah. Um, so that's what I carry. What are you going to carry? You're going to carry a sidearm too. Yeah, I'm not sure. You just learned about this trip like an hour ago. You hadn't <laughs> yeah. figured it out yet. Well, I've got a. I might just take a revolver just for simplicity. What have you got? It's just a 357. That's that's all yeah. you need. If I want to carry a pistol, I've got a a 40 that that I keep sometimes. Yeah. So, but I think revolver. I, I lost a, uh, I lost a magazine one time, uh, 
whenever I was hog hunting in a pistol, and so I'm a little nervous about losing another. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I'm a little nervous about losing another magazine for my. I see. For my auto. Either one of those would be good. Where we're going to yeah. be hunting is grizzly country, but it's not the big time grizzly country like you hear of in in Southwest Montana. Um. So. But the other thing that I'm going to classify under weaponry is bear spray. And both of us will, will have bear spray and pistol. And that's pretty much my philosophy is that bear spray and pistol, um, both of them. And I took a lot of flack on a YouTube video that I posted where I said I did not chamber around in my Glock as I carried it. A lot of people were just like, that's crazy, that's that's stupid, it's not even worth carrying. Because typically bear attacks, if they happen, happen so quick, you don't have a lot of time. Um, I probably will chamber around. I've just always, I've just never been quite comfortable enough, especially riding mules and stuff, having a round chambered. Yeah. Um, but I'm probably just going to go for it. Yeah. And this is what I've always done, and, and I may, maybe somebody has some feedback for me on this. I usually keep the bear spray tucked away, yeah, not not far away, but away, because my first defense is going to be that pistol. Yeah. Um, but if you're in a situation where, like, let's say we're out there and we're glassing, and all of a sudden we see a grizz out there at 80 yards, and it's just standing there on its hind legs looking at us. Yeah, I would I would have seconds to get in and get the bear spray. Yeah, for me the bear spray is not like an immediate attack, like where you come around a bush and there's a bear ten feet away that's charging you. Yeah, like that's when I, I'm just gonna trust the pistol yeah. that I can get it out and shoot, and hopefully the the sound of the the gun. I mean, is gonna deter that animal from fully charging you. Yeah, but if, but if it does hit you, at least you've got. You got some rounds to put in him. Yeah. Um, so to me, bear spray is more like the response that you use if you have more time. than 15 or 20 seconds. Because yeah. that's all it would take. I mean, I will carry it with me all the time, it'll, but it'll be in my pack. Mm-hmm. And some, If I was down in super-duper grizz country, I'm sure that I would wear it at, on a harness. Or, yeah. But it, where we're at, the odd grizz might be in there. Mm-hmm. But the... Be just, cool to see one. It would be cool to see one. Yeah, um, but it's it's not it's not the norm. So that's my weaponry: three hundred wind mag, ten millimeter Glock, and bear spray. Yeah. Comments. Uh, I guess if you carried the right pistol, it might not be, you know, as big of a deal to keep one in the chamber. You know, like a Glock doesn't have built-in safeties like a Springfield. You know, like a Springfield, you have that. That one that makes sure you're holding it, that beaver tail, I think is what it's called on the back. And then you have the trigger and the trigger. Like you have a few more things. And I think, what is the Glock? Does it have the, like a trigger? that has no safety, basically. No safety, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but ultimately, I mean, you're not going to, I mean, the, the actual trigger would be covered by your. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's deep in a sheath. It's deep in a sheath. It's well buckled i mean it's it's pretty safe yeah but still it's just a mental thing of you know i grew up bow hunting so much that my dad put the fear of god in us about guns which is good yeah um but uh i grew up with the guns in the corner (laughs) yeah well and and we did too but it was just a 
you know, I mean, we just, we didn't, we didn't recreate with guns that much other than yeah. shooting skeet and we hunt and stuff, but I mean, we weren't shooters. Yeah. We just put it that way. Yeah. You know. I grew up on a, more of a farm and so it was just like, you know, if something was coming up, getting after something. Yeah. You could take care of it. Always had a loaded weapon close. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's go into the backcountry camping gear. All right. And I'm just going to go down this list and perhaps we'll put this list up. I I, I don't know if I want to be so bold as to put our list up because there's, there, there, there's certain things that probably we're going to end up taking that aren't on this list, but these are the main things. Yeah. Tent. Yep. Tent. I have I have gotten through everything that I've ever done with a 15-year-old Caltech two-man tent. Yeah. I believe it's called Caltech. Sounds right. Um it you know back 15 years ago it was like a pretty high quality lightweight mountaineering tent. Yeah. Nothing nothing special, but a pretty good one. And I've carried it to Montana. I've carried it in Arkansas and I've used it quite a bit. What kind of tent do you have? Uh, it's some off-brand one, I think, that I got on Amazon. You're supposed to be the gearhead. Yeah, well, you, you told me he told me an hour ago. He's like, "Yeah, I got a two-man tent." I figured he'd like be able to tell the weight of it. And the, you, no, no, it's like, well, I, you know, at some point we need to get one have, of those. Does it have any cartoon characters on it, like Snoopy? Or I don't know. I, I bought it for a quick trip last year, and I never used it, so I haven't even gotten it out and put it up. Okay, well, it's probably got, like, Snoopy or, like, Barbie dolls on it or something. <laughs> yeah. Like the little kids' tents. Yeah. Is it pink? It's going to be animated. It's supposed to be a, a army green kind of, you okay. know. <laughs> okay, well. But we need to get one of those uh, Nemo ones that first light. Yeah. Up with them. Yes. It just kind of ran out of time. Yeah. First light doesn't have an I, I contacted uh, – Bridget at first light the other day and they don't have them in the office yet yeah but yeah so nemo and first light have have started doing some branded branded content branded content branded merchandise for yeah back they've got some sleeping bags and tents and a bunch yeah. of stuff we will certainly have some of those in the future yeah the other thing that we talked about that we should have for this hunt and we may figure out a way to get one is a kifaru teepee yeah that'd be great um you know, I've done pretty good with my little tent, but I would like to I would like to upgrade. Yeah. Um and that would be one that would be good. The Kafaro or the, the first light Nemo stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they all pack down pretty small. I think the main thing that we need to that we need to do on this trip before we go is pull this tent out and re reseal it. Yeah. You know, just to make sure that if we get in a massive thunderstorm up there it stays dry. Yeah. Uh I will also take with me a eight by ten to ten by ten tarp, yeah, that I will put over the top of that if it rains. Uh, when we were backcountry hunting in Arkansas over Christmas break, we were in a horrendous thunderstorm one night, but we had a, a tarp stretched over the tent. So yeah. we had the tent underneath a tarp that was tied with paracord, and uh, it, the, the tent kept water out, but still, we, we need to we need to make sure that it that thing doesn't leak. But uh, so I will take an eight by ten tarp with us, which yeah. is not on my list here. But so there's obviously a lot more we could talk about when it comes to wilderness shelters. But yeah. That's the main thing. So for two of us, we're probably just going to take one tent, and we're going to take his Colby Snoopy tent, um, yeah. maybe for gear. Yeah, uh, we're going to have it because it's, it's pretty small. Okay, um, so let's talk about bedding. Yeah, every 
I've traveled in spring and fall the last several years, and I have found the sweet spot when you're hunting and temperatures between 65 and 20 degrees Fahrenheit to be a 30 degree bag. Okay. Yeah. It's uh the bag isn't too huge, but it's, it's also not too small. And I've found that I, um, every time I hunt, I usually sleep in the clothes that I'm wearing. And if it's my first light gear, like I'm wearing like my base layers and then probably a puffy, puffy jacket and a, in a toboggan or beanie yeah, and uh, stay pretty warm. I find that a 30 degree bag doesn't actually keep me warm at 30 degrees. Yeah. I don't know if, it, have you ever experienced if you camp much? Yeah. I think that they, they design them to where you can still survive at 30 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not yeah. that you'll be comfortable okay. at 30 degrees. Yeah. Well, in that case, and yeah, I've heard that before actually, now that you say it. And yeah. that's been my experience is that like, if you were just 30 degrees, you know, just, sleeping without much many clothes on you'd be uncomfortable yeah but the temperatures when we're going to be in montana are going to be from 65 to 30 degrees potentially up with a little bit of elevation it'll be colder so we're going to have 30 degree sleeping bags i've got some uh cabela's i believe they're called invader it's a cabela's branded sleeping bag and it's uh it's pretty good pretty good bag i like yeah. it yeah um i like to take a a blow up thermo rest uh, i actually use i've got one straight up thermo rest but i also have a cabela's branded you know air mattress type deal that yeah. rolls up really small yeah and it's pretty thick it takes quite a bit of effort and energy to blow it up but it's pretty good on a backcountry hunt yeah i also almost always take a full-size pillow and now that is a luxury i think it's worth it <laughs> yeah well, that's a luxury that if you're riding a mule, you can take. Yeah. If you were backpacking in, you probably wouldn't do it. Yeah, you'd be you'd be taking a little camping pillow. Too much space. I've also just slept on my clothes before as a as a yeah as a pillow. I've used the uh, my puffy first light jacket, like it folds up into its own yep. pocket. I've used that before. Yep, for sure. I've I've done the same thing. All those fold up in the little football shapes. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to be back there for four or five days and you've got the room on a mule, I will probably bring one full size pillow. Now you, the cameraman won't be able to, Colby. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're on your you're on your own. You'll test test out all these other ways to have a pillow. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. You I'm just kidding. I'm going to use the cameras as my pillow just to make yeah. sure that they're protected. Hey, you know what, James Lawrence, my old buddy James Lawrence. Yeah. Man, when they camped back in the 1970s. I mean, literally, they were just camping in these little army tents, and he used his saddle as his pillow. Interesting. He was He's the one that I kind of mirrored my backcountry hunting off of. Yeah. And uh, he was just looking for something elevated to lay his head on so his head didn't lay back flat on the ground. Yeah. So he slept on that leather saddle as his pillow. Makes so, sense. Yeah. So you'll be, you'll be fine toughing it out. Right. <laughs> we've got two saddles he used his, yeah we got you you will have two saddles to sleep on yeah um so i take a real pillow uh sleeping bag mattress pillow that's it for sleeping yeah that's all that's all we'll have yeah um okay let's talk about food i use a jet boil the what's what's the other brand that's so good that's probably better 
Oh, man. It just escaped. You said it a minute ago. Yeah. Jet boil's the one that, like, will pop into your head. I can find out. Once you find out what it is, yeah, we should we should know this. But a jet boil-like contraption that burns the isopropyl fuel is what you've got to have. And uh, I've heard people say that jet boil is not supportive of modern conservation, brilliant hunters like us. MSR. Uh, MSR. Yeah, yeah, MSR is probably a better a better buy for for people. I currently do have to admit that I have a jet boil. And uh so we will we will be it's, this will be a freeze dried food based backcountry hunt. Yeah. Um we'll take a jet boil. We'll take multiple extra canisters of the isopropyl fuel. Those things burn forever though. You get yeah. the big one. I mean, they burn forever but you don't want to run out. Yeah. Um we'll use that we'll use that jet boil or that that burner to make coffee. I uh, usually just bring some instant coffee, either the crystals or the packs, the little uh, the little like tea pouch type coffee deals. I'm new to the coffee world. Okay, yeah, Colby, Colby, yeah, he's new. <laughs> he doesn't really drink coffee that much. You will in the backcountry. You'll appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, I now this is a mule man's luxury right here. I bring real half and half with me wherever <laughs> I go. If I'm in Alaska, if yeah. I'm in Montana, if yeah. I'm in backcountry of Arkansas, I will have about 25 of those little yeah. little creamers. Okay, yeah. Call me a sissy. It's okay. I'm okay <laughs> with it. I gotta have my good half and half with my yeah. coffee. Okay. Okay. Um. So th- the main experience that I have with freeze dried food has been with Mountain House. Yeah. And, and there's whole podcasts that talk about the different options for food. But Mountain House is probably the most popular, most readily available, most commercialized of the freeze-dried foods. And I've had great experiences with them. They've got a lot of sodium in them. They, yeah. they Any of the freeze-dried food does for the most part. Uh, that's the one thing I've heard is that they do have a lot of sodium. So if you're eating them for six, seven days in a row, you know you have a tendency to kind of feel bloated. They're yeah. very, a lot of calories. I think they taste great. I do not get tired of them. Yeah, I really don't. I mean, I could eat them. I could eat one for lunch right now and just feel like I'd gone out to dinner. Yeah, I like them. Um, what I have done on hunts where I've been with m- multiple people is I've calculated two per day. Yeah, I mean, you really don't want to eat more than two per day. Yeah, even though it seems like a small amount of food, it's a lot of food. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, but what happens is if for some reason you're really hungry and you eat three in a day, I don't know that I've ever eaten three in a day, but you could because you average it out. Like, so if two of us are going and we're planning to be back in there for five days, I mean, you'd take two per day per person. So you take yeah. 20. Is yeah. that right? Sounds right. And they're pretty expensive. They cost like cheapest you can get them is about seven, eight dollars each, even when you buy them in bulk. And that's oh, really? what I do. I buy them in bulk in these like 20 pack buckets. Yeah. And um, there's a wide variety of options, but it's all good. Then I do bring an assortment of other just non-perishable goods, pretty much whatever I can fit in there that I think might be good. Yeah. I mean, like I might go to the grocery store and buy some some raisins and some peanuts and some Cliff Bars. Yeah. Um, you know, just just things that you can kind of stash around that you can snack on throughout the day yeah and then i also have on my list here i usually bring some type of 
candy. I mean, just straight up sugary candy. Oh, really? For those moments, Colby, when you just you just need a boost it of pa- something, it pairs well with bear. Yep. Yeah. Oh, for like drawing in a bear. Oh, I don't know. No, pairs. I was talking about more after we get one. Okay. 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 Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So we would use this celebratory. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were talking about baiting the bears. No. 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 <laughs> I don't know if Montana would look. <laughs> yep. Nope. Can't do that. No. Can't do that, Colby. <laughs> Colby be out there baiting them with like sweet tarts on the ground, like <laughs> making little trails back to our camp. Yeah. Et them into camp. <laughs> um. No. Let's see. Coffee creamer, small amount of candy, Cliff bars. Plan for two mountain houses per day. I mean. That's yeah. that's pretty much it. The, yeah. One of the limiting factors, though, if you're doing a longer hunt in the backcountry, is food. Yeah, uh, that's what we found when we when we were carrying stuff in was uh, was just food. Yeah. Now, when I went with Jim Sessions, Jim is a veteran backcountry hunter that would bust the trends of all these younger guys that are hunting. Jim's been hunting. Jim's I don't know how old Jim is in his fifties. Like maybe even late fifties, and he's been hunting Wyoming by himself on mules and horses his whole life, basically. Yeah, and he brings a lot of fresh food. Oh, that's uh, cool. He really does. His wife cooks a bunch of stuff, and uh, I mean, we were eating. I'm trying to even remember how this was possible. It was pretty cool when we were hunting, and his wife made a bunch of breakfast burritos that they just wrapped up in foil. Yeah, and we ate for probably three days. My cousin did that when we went to Colorado. Yeah. Now were y'all backcountry hunting? Uh we were so you had we refrigeration? Were off of the road. Yeah. Well okay. we we ice chest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what we did. We we carried all the stuff in ice chest and then once we went back in, I mean, you know, it was pretty it was pretty cool, so the stuff stayed cool, but you'd be surprised how long cooked food will stay good if it's staying pretty cool. And so we did that. We carried uh he carried some sausage and eggs and he likes to carry a full cooking kit. Yeah. Yeah. So we were cooking fresh food for the most part. That's and, a luxury. Yeah. And he <laughs> yeah. was he was kind of in charge of the logistics of our hunt at that time. Um, so I, I wouldn't be opposed to bringing a couple of days worth. Of, you know, bringing a we'll probably bring a skillet and some, you know, some bacon and some eggs or something just to yeah. kind of for fun for a day or two. Then, but that's probably what we'll do. So can you? I guess. Uh, I mean, that's pretty – we're just kind of hitting the high points. Yeah. This is a generic list here. That's my main thing for food. Yeah. The, the the other part of that would be water. Pretty much on a mule-based hunt, we could bring some water, and we may bring a few bottles of water, but water will not be the limiting factor because we'll be able to get to the creek. And what I have used before is this uh, – I've got it written down here – yeah, it's the Katadin Base Camp Pro 10 liter water filter. That's what it's called. Yeah. It's K A T A D Y N Base Camp Pro. And so it's this hanging bag that yeah. holds 10 liters. So you go down the creek, try to get some fast running water that's, uh, you know, in full of mud. But even if it was, this thing would filter it. Yeah. Um, and you you set it up and it drips. So you unhinge this little cord. And you put your container down there. We'll bring some, like, Nalgene bottles, something like yeah. that. And, you know, it'll take it three or four minutes to fill up your water container. Yeah, it's a gravity filter, right? Yep, gravity yeah. filter. 
So we'll bring one of those, but we'll also bring a life straw. Yeah, I've got one of those too. Yeah, those are handy. Just just to have in your pack, stick it in the mud hole and drink if you had to. Yeah. Um, where we're going to be hunting is going to be up above where there's much water. There might be some snow banks around that we'd be able to gather a little bit of water to boil down yeah. if we wanted to for mountain houses and stuff. But we will have to carry some water up. Now, we could easily go down 2,000 feet and get water and come back up on a mule, which wouldn't be that big of a deal. If you're on foot, it would be. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Where we're going to be camping is is well it it all depends on where the snow line's at i don't know if i ideally would be camping at six thousand feet now we may we have not got into the nitty-gritty of is six thousand feet even there right now might yeah. be a under four feet of snow in that case we'd be camping lower than that yeah but um but anyway that's what we'll that's what we'll take um here's a couple of just Different things will be, you know, you, you take your personal toiletries and whatever you, you know, you take a toothbrush and toothpaste, you know, for sure. Um, wet wipes. Yeah. I'm big wet wipe man. Yeah. Yep. Wet wipes. Enough said. <laughs> They're good for all kind of stuff. Yeah. All kinds of cleanups. Clean, even just cleaning your hands. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, if you've, if you've been messing with the mules or, you know, you just are, are just kind of taking a small just like wipe down bath with one of them you just feel refreshed so i like taking wet wipes um permethrin when we were in montana the first year it was ridiculous how many ticks there were and we were totally unprepared yeah 100 percent unprepared i mean i didn't even have any off um we will spray down our clothes with with this uh how do you say it? Yeah, permethrin, and and that'll that'll keep that'll keep the ticks at bay, pretty good. Yeah, that's something I for sure would bring. Uh, Garmin inReach for navigation. Both of us have Garmin inReaches. For if you don't know what a Garmin inReach, I mean, most guys in the hunting world probably would, but it's a it's a it's a GPS and a satellite text messaging device. It costs about four hundred bucks. You pay yep. about. $11 a month, the lowest possible plan. And basically you get 10 free text messages per month and you've got an SOS button. So if we get back in there and something happens, we could hit SOS and it alerts the local authorities that somebody's in trouble and they need to send help basically. Yeah, they pick you up. Yeah, so you don't want to hit that button on accident. No. I hear they actually message you. They try to message you to like say what's going on. Yeah. You know, so... Potentially, if you hit it on accident, you could go, my bad. But I, no guarantees on that. Yeah. Um, but uh, it does make you feel just a little bit better to know that if something crazy happened, that you could hit that button. And, you know, you couldn't count on somebody getting there fast. But Yeah, it'd be difficult to hit that SOS on accident. On accident. They've got to get it pretty protected. Yeah, they do. They do. And actually, when you hit it, it gives you it cues you again it says are you sure you want to do this oh really i mean it says something like that yeah and so then you hit yes and it's uh and you're good she okay we got a we got fern the plot hound in here she's getting a little restless so that'll be how we navigate we'll also have our onyx on our phones and we'll download these sections so you'll be able to kind of look at some because the garmin these in reach garments 
if, if you're using the stuff that the maps that come with them, they're not great maps. Yeah. I mean, they're not, I don't want to dog them. They're, they're, but they're not like highly detailed maps and it's certainly not satellite imagery. Yeah. Or as user friendly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, as on it. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a, just a last resort type deal. Um, okay. Here's a little tech tip for you. A little right. backcountry camping tip. Yeah. I have a pair of Croc-like shoes. I do as well. Okay. I carry those with me everywhere I go. Yeah. Let your feet dry out at night. Yep. It's yeah. so nice to be, even in the backcountry, and they're super light. Yeah. Do you wear multiple pairs of socks? No. Yeah. I, I saw where guys will have like a, will wear two pairs of socks. There'll be like a liner layer of some merino sock. And then they'll put their, like, first light socks, like, on top of that. And then it wicks the moisture away from your foot. It's supposed to help. It's supposed to be, like, some Colby. Yeah. That's what sissies do, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, that's probably a good idea. I, you know, I, I just wear a variety. I think I have every possible pair of first light socks. They've got, you know, these crew socks that come up to about – halfway on your calf which are yeah. lightweight athletic merino wool and spandex yeah and they've got these ones that come up to me they come up actually almost over my kneecap yeah super tall yeah uh, but I've then got i've both. got some of the thicker warmer weather socks yeah but i i man merino wool socks to me are non-negotiable yeah you can wear the same pair of socks an entire seven day hunt i might do it <laughs> I've done it. it. You know, you got to let them dry out at night. I mean, yeah. you know, you, it's nice to take them off. And I mean, if you get them like soaking wet, yeah. I mean, you got to take them off and let them dry, but they dry quick and you can pick them up the next day and they don't smell terrible and you can yeah. wear them again. They say you can put uh, stuff that's damp in the sleeping bag with you and your body heat dries it in the night. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Hmm. I've never done that. Um. So here we go. Knife. Yep. I I like to carry... A Barracuda. Um, Havilon. Havilon. Yeah. I, I love them, the yeah. big ones. And I'd carry four or five extra blades in case we had to skin a bear or two. But you yeah. can skin a bear on one blade easily. Yeah. One Havilon blade. But I'll also take a standard knife. And I, yeah. my father in law has a Steve Schultz custom knives. I'll yeah. carry a pack wrap. He's got a little skeleton knife with no. Uh, no handle on it it's just the handle has been wrapped in paracord you got one don't you yeah i've got one of those too yeah super awesome knife has a yeah. uh what's the, what's the sheath made out of on those things kydex kydex so it's lightweight yeah. it clips on your belt it has a little little clip on it you can orientate it different ways which help which helps too like i have mine on like my backpack on the sleeve of it where i can just like pull it out yep. real quick if i need it for whatever yeah guys y'all could uh Y'all could do y'all could do us a favor by going and checking out Steve Schultz Custom Knives. Yeah, and I think it's about one hundred and twenty dollars for that pack wrap, but it's really high grade steel. And it's a totally custom handmade knife. Yeah, and um, you can have all kind of different colors on the on the paracord that's wrapped around the handle. Yeah, but it's a great backcountry knife, light and just it's just fail proof. I mean, there's yeah. just it's just a it's just a super strong good knife. Yeah, I think the the my favorite knife as far as like like one that's produced a lot where you could just go buy it like a Cabela's or something would probably be like the bench made, like the steep country. Okay. Yeah. I, it held such a great edge. Like, yeah, I've done, you know, I've used it. custom knives for so long. I'm totally out of the knife world yeah. except for the Havilon knives, yeah. which I love. Absolutely yeah. love. Yeah. But 
Um, all right. So these are kind of our camping, our camping, this is our camping list. We talked about tents. We talked about thermarest, pillows, uh, heating devices for jet boils and whatnot. We talked about food. We talked about Crocs. We talked about uh, permethrin. Um, we talked about sleeping bags, toiletries, knives. So that's kind of our backcountry camping gear list. What I want to talk about now is optics. This is a pretty big deal for any backcountry hunter. And it's something that I, being an Arkansas hunter, kind of had to get used to because I, in Arkansas, you can't see more than about 40 yards in any direction. And so having really good optics has never been really a limiting factor. But uh, what kind what kind of optic? Tell us about your Leicas because that's mainly what we're going to be using. Yeah, they're the Leica. I think they're called the GeoVids. Thinking a ten by fifty, but they have a built-in rangefinder. Just really good glass. They're just they're the clearest pair of of binoculars I've I've looked through. Yeah, I'm not gonna say they're the best, but they're up there with like the Swarovskis and you yeah know, those those other high end yeah high end ones. So in the range on that one, it'll range out to a thousand yards. Is that right? I think it might even be a little further than that. Really? Yeah. See. Further this, than we'll this shoot. is this is what maybe further than you'll shoot, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> You've never had a hundred elite best of the west, nah, <laughs> right? I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, th- so that is an issue when you have a long range rifle, or even not even a. I mean, any more long range shot is, or, or shots that our people are taking are longer than previous decades. Let's just say yeah. that. And uh, like I've got a cheap. Uh, I think it's a Sig Sauer, uh, just like 400-yard range finder. I mean, it's yeah. just kind of like an archery range finder, really. Yeah. And you get out to Montana, and all of a sudden you realize that thing is pretty much worthless. Yeah. Because you can't range across these canyons at 500, 600, 800 yards. And not that you're going to take an 800-yard shot, but it sure helps to know the distance, you know. And when you do have a gun that's capable of shooting that far and you have practiced with it and really feel capable, which, man, I've spent seven days hunting with Jim two years ago. I mean, super good long-range shooter. We talked and talked, and I looked at how he how he, how he did his setups when he would shoot. They do a lot of dry firing. Like yeah. if, let's say you're shooting at a bear at 600 yards, you're going to have some time. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's going to be running and you're going to be shooting him at that far. If you're shooting at long distance, you do have time. Yeah. So he sets the gun up and he carries his little tripod with him with in sandbags. He actually carries really? that in the backcountry. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you get set up and you unchamber the round and, and dry fire it. Just yeah. put it right on just like you want to. Breathe and squeeze yeah. and, and see what happens to the crosshairs when you dry fire. Yeah. Are you shooting it, are you shooting prone or like, Yep, prone. Yeah. 100% yeah, prone. Okay. I mean like that's all he wanted to shoot was prone. Yeah. And so he you would dry fire and you would gain confidence based upon what you saw when you dry fired or or, or potentially you'd realize you need to wait. Yeah. You know, cuz if that if that crosshair drops off of that animal or moves that much, or comes out of the kill zone, then you got no business shooting. Yeah. And then you know, finally, you chamber your live round. You're having somebody with a spotting scope, and you you shoot. 
Yeah. And so it, it, it's, it's much more calculated than what somebody might think who'd never been in that situation and just like, oh, man, you're just slinging lead at 600 yards in an animal. That's unethical. I mean, it, we could have a long, long debate about whether it's ethical to shoot at something at 700 yards when you've practiced, have the equipment, and have done everything versus taking a 35-yard shot at a deer with your bow. Yeah. I mean, it's all the, – the, the ethics of it depend upon the person that's behind the trigger mm-hmm. or behind the bow. Yeah. You know? I mean, because there's lots of people I know – including me at different times that have no business shooting at an animal at 35 yards with a bow. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a lot easier to pick on a guy that's long range shooting because it seems so, it yeah. seems so far, you know, and maybe you don't have a gun that can shoot that far. Maybe yeah. you're not capable of shooting that far, but I can tell you, and I'm not claiming to be a great shot, but I have shot my gun out to 1100 yards Yeah, and hit a, a 18 by 18 steel plate at 1100 yards. Yeah. Granted, it took me a while. We didn't have the right distance. I mean, there was some many variables. Yeah. But I'm confident that I could go back and uh, easily even shoot that far with this current gun that I've got. Yeah. And uh, and then when I was in BC last year, we were shooting uh, we were shooting two liter Coke bottles at 800 yards. Yeah. And um, you know, I was I was consistently hitting uh, a spot as big as a beach ball at 800 yards every shot. Yeah. And I can't tell you that I hit the two liter bottle the first shot the gun was that doing that yeah my and i was also had a rest on a stump yeah i mean it was like it was kind of like a real hunting situation we're just like we 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 did know the exact range and we set up and i got a good rest on a stump and would have hit a beach ball size spot every single shot for like five or six shots at 800 yards yeah and i mean it's pretty good shooting yeah um because First of all, I'm probably not going to take an 800-yard shot, but you know, a, a, a black bear's vitals are in the range of that size. Yeah, a good size black bear would be. You could describe it as yeah, about the size of a beach ball. Yeah, you know. So ethics all depends upon what you're capable of. You know. Yeah. But uh, okay, so that I also want to say that I've carried the Huskama 10 by 42s for several years. Yeah. Super small and lightweight. That's what I like about them. Clear glass. Yeah. Do um, they do they sell that anymore? I th- is it on their website? I haven't been able to find it. For again. real? Yeah. I don't know okay. that those are still in production. Okay. Because they sell Leica on their long range store. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, they may have quit selling those, but that's that's what I have carried for several years, and I do like them because they're so light and they are clear. Um, oh, they're. Are they up there? Yeah, I guess they got another run of them. They're expected August of 2019. Oh, okay. So they sold them out, and now they're getting more in in August. Yeah. I see. Okay. All right. The, the last section here that we want to talk about is clothing. This is probably the, the hardest one because there's so many so many variables, and guys that have not hunted much out on a hunt like this – often take way too much stuff, which that's what I learned about myself. I took way too much gear. Um, I'm going to tell you what I pack and what I'm familiar with, and that's first light gear. I've been wearing first light gear since 2013, and I've pretty much exclusively worn first light gear. So I cannot speak really objectively from experience with any of the other 
high-end clothing company, Sitka Kuyu. I've just not worn them. Yeah. But I have worn First Light for all these years and know the product line fairly well. I don't know the, the new 2019 gear as well. I do have one of the one of their, uh, I think it's called a Brooks. Uh, they call it a sweater, but I do have one of their new jackets yeah. that nobody's got yet. Yeah. Um, but So I'm just going to go through First Light gear. But you, this could be translated to other things, but I, I've had great success with First Light. I like them as a company, and I've that's that's all I wear. All right, I'm going to start off with tops. Okay, this is what I will bring when we hunt. Is I will have two pairs of merino wool underwear. That uh, what's it? Once you get on the first light site, so that I, I'm not uh, so the the names I'm saying are accurate. I believe they call them their like, what do they call it? I want to say red dirt underwear, but I don't think that's what it's called. Um, but I, I'll have two pairs of the merino wool underwear. When I first heard about this, I thought, man, that's kind of over the top to have merino wool underwear. But merino wool truly is a magical fabric to have on skin. So if you're wearing cotton underwear or some type of spandex synthetic underwear, that will be the limiting factor that's that of chafing and holding moisture and not drying out. And so it makes a ton of sense, actually, to have some merino wool boxers. Okay? Um, I think they changed the name of them, Colby. Yeah, they've got several different like names. Go ahead. What are they? Uh, one was Dobson. Okay. Uh, I think the other one was Glenbrook. Okay. Well, two pairs of those I'll take, and then I'll take a one base layer pant or base layer of merino wool. Which what I have is the Allegheny, but I didn't see that they've got some a new one called the Fuse Long John. Which, if if you've not heard me talk about merino wool before. I was not a believer there for a while, or, or just was inexperienced, and, and, and was like, ah, merino wool, probably not anything special. But when I hunt, I 100% use merino wool on skin for any type of any type of hunting, from super cold hunting like in Canada that I do, all the way to hunting here in Arkansas when it's 80 degrees. A lot of people wouldn't understand merino wool when it's hot. But it's actually exactly what you want to be wearing when it's hot because it wicks moisture away from skin. It dries out very quickly. The example I always give is if you've got a cotton T-shirt that you've been outside working in and it gets damp and sweaty, that and you wad it up and throw it down on the floor, the next day that thing will still be damp. And when you pick it up, it just has that smell. Well, merino wool dries out much quicker than cotton. And when it dries out, it does not hold near as much odor. Uh, you know, at, at different times I've said it's almost 100% odor-free. But if you wear it for like seven days straight, it will have odor. Yeah. Um, but not near as much as cotton. I mean, like almost exponentially less than cotton. Yeah. And uh, I th- doesn't it fight the bacteria? So, like, if you go, say, into some fast food restaurant with it, it'll smell like that. But as far as, like, the sweat and stuff from you like it attacks that it's like antimicrobial or something like that where it you know i'm not sure the science behind the merino wool i do know that 
from in in terms of temperature regulation, and I think we, maybe we talked about this on another one. Merino wool, merino sheep are grown in places where it gets very very hot and also very very cold. So these sheep are living in places that have these huge temperature swings, and so it might be cold one day and hot the next. And so their wool is capable of insulating when it's cold, but also uh, regulate you know letting heat out when it's hot i mean that's the way i understood it and uh and so that's what you want to happen inside of uh inside of your hunting gear but uh the the main thing is is that when wool gets wet it still insulates that's that's the tried and true it's not just merino wool that does that wool if you get wet if you get wet when you're wearing cotton you're in trouble yeah you are going to get cold chilled to the bone and obviously depending upon how cold it's going to get, whether that's life-threatening or whether it's just uncomfortable for the day. Okay, yeah. Merino wool is much different than that. Um, but the the key thing about Merino wool is it's soft. Most guys think of like the old wool stuff that people used to wear would be like scratchy and kind of stickery, you know. Merino wool is soft wool, and so it feels like cotton. So it's comfortable like cotton. Yeah. Versailles also has some synthetic blends. So they've got this merino wool stuff that's blended with synthetic stuff. Yeah. So it kind of has an athletic feel, but that's good stuff too. Mm-hmm. The arrow wool, I believe, is what it's called. Yeah. They're... But okay, so I, I'll, I'll merino wool boxers, uh, fuse long john. The shirts, my go-to first light shirts right now are the furnace Henley uh-huh. and the men's furnace quarter zip. I love the Henley. Do you, which one do you have? The furnace. What pattern you got? Fusion. Fusion. Yeah. Okay. All yeah. my stuff's fusion. Yeah. I just yeah, like yeah. that pattern. Yeah. Me too. I've got some cipher. But so there's lots of different options in shirts, and you, you really can't go wrong, but those are the two that I'm wearing a lot right now. Okay. And Colby, I will take two shirts. Yeah. Let's just say we're going into the backcountry planning for five days, even though we're planning to be gone. We're planning to hunt for seven but when we go in the back country, we, I will I will take two shirts. Okay, all right. You with me? Yep. The other shirt, well, base layer on skin merino wool shirts. Yeah. And I'll alternate days. Yeah. Usually, yeah, probably what that, that's my theory. Alternate days. I probably won't do that. Um, listen to this story. When I was with Jim Sessions in Montana, I wore the same day clothes for six days straight and never took them off. Yeah. For real. Uh, wore my Allegheny base layer pants, and I can't remember what kind of merino wool base layer shirt it was. Uh, it was their uh, shoot, I forgot, I forgot what. I mean, it was just their their mid weight, yeah. just standard first light shirt. It yeah. escaped me what it was called, but uh, wore them every single day. Yeah, never took them off. And I and I I was wearing at the time the North Branch soft shell pant with the merino wool underneath them yeah that soft shell pant they don't make them anymore yeah I've, I've i've talked with first light they they wouldn't hear my plea to yeah. continue on with the north branch soft shell yeah i loved it um and then and then on top i would come in and out of a of a uncompagre puffy jacket with a hood with a hood yeah and i slept in it for six days yeah um but going back to shirts, so those are the two merino. I'll have two merino wool base layer shirts. But then what I will take with me this year is a Klamath hoodie. Yeah, the Klamath has a more athletic fit than the uh, than the former. Uh, 
my other favorite first light gear was the uh the 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 quarter zip sweater that they had that wasn't merino wool but the klamath hoodie isn't merino wool it's like a it's like a it's just like a hoodie you know it has um but i like the athletic fit and i like the hood i end up pulling that hood over those are the three shirts that i'll bring yeah so two merino wool and the klamath the klamath hoodie jackets moving right on to jackets I have traveled all over North America chasing bears with an Uncompagre puffy jacket. I love them. Yeah. I mean, to this day, when I pull it out, I like feel like warm, fuzzy feelings yeah. all down on the inside because it is such a awesome jacket. Yeah. It's lightweight. It's not made for beating the brush. I've, I've tore some holes in them. There's no, you can't get around that. I mean, it's not like a Carhartt jacket, you know, that's designed to just like beat the brush, but they're a lot more durable than you think. Yeah. Um, and I find that when I layer, like with a, with a, let's say I've got that quarter zip merino wool on, Klamath hoodie, Uncompagre vest, man, you can stay warm. Yeah. Or Uncompagre jacket. The other jacket, quote unquote, that I'll bring will be an Uncompagre vest. Yeah. I love an Uncompagre vest with an Uncompagre puffy jacket. Yeah. Okay, super lightweight, but then you get that layering of two pretty significant layers. Yeah. And I find that you can stay pretty warm in temperatures down into the 30s with that. Yeah. With basically two puffy, puffy vest, puffy jacket. I call it the puffy. Mm-hmm. I think most of them do too. Um, I will. I do have their new Catalyst system, and I will probably bring both the top and bottom of their Catalyst system, which is – just their soft shell, so it's it's a it's a soft shell, soft shell. Like the the puffy wouldn't be soft shell. The puffy is that lightweight, you know, kind of scratchy material that like a bow hunter in a tree stand wouldn't want to wear. Yeah, it's a little loud. Yeah, but the soft shell is a soft to touch non merino wool uh, outer layer that's just a thin, just a thin jacket. And the pants are the same. They're a little bit insulated. They're they're like two layered. Like there's a layer. Inside and layer outside, but that's our catalyst system. The jacket's the same. I will also bring a sawtooth hybrid jacket that I will layer with based upon weather. So, so on this hunt with temperatures from 66 to let's say 35 degrees, that's what the forecast says right now. My maximum layering capacity would be two merino wool shirts, a Klamath hoodie, a Uncompagre vest, Uncompagre. Or, well, under that would be a sawtooth hybrid vest and then a puffy, full puffy. So that would be like – that's the way I like to think about it. I like yeah. to think about could you put everything that you have on and stay warm in the most difficult circumstances possible? Yeah. And if the answer is no, then you don't have enough Yeah. because you're preparing for the worst. But you're also – not wanting to bring way overkill. So you kind of want to be like teeter right on that edge. And let's say it got down to 25 degrees and was windy. I think I would stay at least warm enough with what I've got for in this, in this situation. Does that make sense? Yep. I think that's a good rule of thumb. Think about putting every single thing you've got on and would that keep you warm? And if it would keep you way too warm, then probably you're bringing too much stuff. Like yeah. if it would be way overkill, like if I had, you know, six mid mid you know mid level shirts, and you'd be like, okay, I put six shirts on, 
this, 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 this. You're like, man, that's way overkill. You're probably bringing too much stuff. Okay, let's talk about pants. Yeah. Pants. I'll bring two kinds of pants. Well, potentially, I've got to make a decision. I'll, I'll, I'll bring the Catalyst soft shell pant. Mm-hmm. They're kind of a thicker pant. Yeah. And I'll wear the Allegheny bottoms underneath them. I bet 80% of this hunt. Yeah. But I'm going to make a decision on whether I bring the Korg guide pants or the Obsidian Merino pants. So yeah. the first like Korg guide pants are like an athletic fit, like stretchy, um, kind of feel like almost like spandex-like material, really comfortable, breathable, lightweight, um, but they're more for hot weather stuff. The The other one is the merino wool pant, the obsidian, and I really like those. They would be a little bit better for for weather stuff. They'd be a little bit better for colder weather because potentially you would, if you got wet, that merino wool would keep you warm, okay? All right, uh, rain gear, seek. I've got all the seek gear. The, the south it's 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 an acronym for southeast alaska but the first light seat gear i've yet to get wet in it and i've yeah. used it in saskatchewan and pounding rain and boats and i've used it a lot um i didn't have as good a luck with the storm tight stuff from first light but they've massively improved it since five years ago when they come out with the storm tight stuff the seek stuff is the real deal yeah. i've got seek pants and top yeah uh, you've got a seek jacket yeah the storm top bottoms yeah if you're not sitting in something, those storm top bottoms will keep you yeah. dry. If you're sitting in a boat seat for four hours, that's getting you're just sitting in water. I've seen them leak. Yeah, yeah, they leaked on me a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I I ripped them on something too. Yeah, yeah. well that that's their kind of like lower. It's really lightweight. I mean, it's not really made for yeah. just like sitting in pounding rain. Yeah, it did great for a while. I think I was I was hunting in the rain and eventually. Like after a couple of hours, it was. Yeah. The Seek wouldn't do that to you. Yeah. Okay. Um, headgear. I think the best piece of gear that First Light makes, and this is going to surprise you, this is this is Clay Newcomb, most valuable player. Yeah. First Light gear goes to, drum roll, goes to the brimmed Merino beanie. Yeah. No, 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 no. Shoot. I was reading my. I never have a list. I've got a list today. Yeah. Not that. It's the tag cuff beanie. Yeah. Man. I like mine. That thing, when I was in Idaho hunting, and it was it was two, it was was like negative two degrees, and we were riding snowmobiles 25 miles. Yeah. Two of those, two tag cuff beanies. Yeah. And then pulling up a, uh, pulling up stuff, you know, a hoodie Hood. over your head. Yeah. With whatever you're wearing underneath. Super warm, man. That thing gets wet. You stay warm. Yeah, it's I, I I've carried them all over, and I usually carry two with me. Yeah, I I get pretty cold pretty easy, and man, if you can keep your head warm, so good. Um, the other thing that I I like to wear is that brim brimmed merino beanie. Yeah, I I like it. I like the short brim. I like the way it feels. I like the lightweightness of it. I like it when people think it looks funny. <laughs> um. <laughs> You need you need one of the, you got one you wear yeah. do they think you look funny I don't know. I think you look funny in them <laughs> comments I'm speechless okay all right last <laughs> thing on the list and then we're gonna close down Colby 
um, gloves. Yeah. I I am not a glove man. I mean, if it's like freezing cold outside, you know, four out of five people have gloves on, and I won't have gloves on. Yeah, I just like to be able to touch stuff. I, yeah. I like it, usually I'm got camera gear or I'm bow hunting or um, for e- even when I'm riding a mule, I like to be able to feel the reins. Yeah, I don't know why. I think it's just a personal deal, but but I will carry the. First light arrow wool liner glove, super yeah. thin, and and it just it takes the it just takes the edge off the cold, but still you get that touch. You know they're not made they're not durable they're not made for working. Yeah. I mean you'll pop a hole in them pretty quick, but just for cool mornings when you just want to take the take the sting and the edge off the cold on your hands, I really like them. They only cost like seventeen bucks. Yeah, so it's a cheap little glove, and it's merino wool, so if it gets wet, it'll dry out quick. Yeah. Um, I like them. Sometimes I have a hard time finding them in my bag. Yep, they're so small. <laughs> yep, in the midst of all the rest of the fusion. Yes, yes. Uh, the yes. other thing that I that I carry, and I don't know if I'll carry it on this trip or not, but I'll have them in the bag at least in the truck, and we'll make a decision based upon weather and stuff. Is the soft shell shooting glove? It's there. It's there. Kind of like it almost feels like it's neoprene. It's not. Yeah. But it, and it goes way up on your wrist and Velcro's pretty high up on your wrist, probably two inches above your hand. Yeah. And I mean, they're pretty solid gloves that you could use yeah. for. I mean, you could shoot in them. Uh, well, they're a shooting glove. Yeah. But you could, uh, they're, they're tougher. You know, you could move around logs at camp. And I mean, yeah, they're kind of made for doing stuff like that. Or at least that, that's been my experience. Are those the ones that have the cutout for your like archery release? Yeah. Too? Yeah. That's yeah. what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. I've got a pair of those. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I will carry those. I also had their, uh, scree gloves. Yeah. I believe they got one called scree or used to. It's just kind of a standard, just like smaller glove, but a notch up in terms of protection from their yeah. little arrow, arrow liner. Or their uh, arrow wool, excuse me. They came out with quite a few gloves this year. I They've got a bunch of new ones. I haven't really looked at them yet. Yeah, they've got a bunch of new ones. Well, hey, we've gone we've gone long enough here. This is the this is our list. I guess it's been fairly exhaustive, but I would feel confident today using this list and going. Yeah. Now, th- there's going to be something like you know I didn't put like a lighter on here. Like yeah, you should take a lighter carry a lighter with me every time i get out of the truck in the backcountry yeah i like starting fires or like a good pair of boots well we didn't talk about boots yeah yeah i mean these are i guess there's some things that are just like givens that we didn't yeah. talk about let's talk about boots though i i've been using the cabela's denali for several years my boots are so wore out they're on their last leg they don't deserve to go back to montana but are those the kangaroo ones like no 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 that's what i wore when i was in montana last time and they oh, got okay. they, they they don't repel they're not gore-tex on the inside so gotcha. they but what tell us what kind of boots you have you have some good ones yeah i got some kinetrex yeah um i'm not sure i know they're uninsulated so like the only insulation would be like the sock um right. and they come up you know, a little above my ankle, but yeah, they're really like you, when you put them on at first, they feel really tight, but then all of a sudden they just, they feel great. Yeah. Uh, so I, this would be my first backcountry hunt wearing them though. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they're, they've been great so far. Well, you see, yeah, I didn't, I didn't put boots on. I mean, is there anything else that probably would be on it? I mean, lighter boots. I mean, not other than just like the normal 
normal things. Everybody's going to have their own little pleasantries they might bring, like half yeah. and half. Yeah, and we really, I don't think we really got into like different types of packs or anything like frame no. packs. No, but we're, that, and we're that, going with mules. You know that, and that's a good one that I didn't. And again, me not being a gearhead, guys could f- flip out over packs. Yeah. Hey, they do. I'm going to go ahead and say this. And if there's a there's somebody if there's a fine company out there that would like to sponsor this trip, yeah, I have for three years used a thirty dollar Walmart pack. Yeah. Field line, baby. Yeah. Field line actually, I'm sponsored by Field Line. They oh, pay yeah. me fifty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> right. That pack is awesome. I mean, it won't. It's not going to last forever, yeah. and it's starting to tear in a place or two. But no, nah, we need some good packs, and yeah. we're looking at some Exo Mountain Gear stuff. We're yeah. looking at the Kafaro stuff. Yeah, and and I have a I have a couple of like standard issue fifteen year old uh, uh, solid frame packs. You yeah. know, that are just nothing special. Yeah. But I think, I, ha- I have yet to nerd out on backpacks. Yeah, I think the load shelf's a little low low on those older ones. I yeah. think that's one of the things that they're now doing. Now you've now, got a Kuyu pack. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's been good. I haven't used it a whole lot, you know. But uh, yeah, just any of these newer packs are are going to be really good. Uh, it, but it sounds like you have to get the measurements right, like you know. So like, not it's not one pack fits all. You have to measure. I think it's from like your iliac crest. Uh, uh, I think it factors that in. Like you're going from the top of your hip bones basically to like I think the where your back would bend mm. a little bit. Mm. But uh, there's there's good stuff out there on the online to figure out how to measure and write for the pack. Yeah. Or if you go to any of these like shows and they bring the packs out, you can try them on. Like that's yeah. why I went with with QU was because they came to a show close to my house and I could try it on and see what fit me. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. 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 Good. Well, there's certainly a lot of stuff like that that is not on this, but in terms of just like, this is the basics. Yeah. This is the basics. And we went through a few specifics of stuff that we're, that we're using, but, uh, but we are going, we are going to Montana here sometime quite soon. Yeah. Hey, I do want to say too, on this podcast, I'm not sure if we'll be making another one right away, but, uh, one of uh one of our films was selected to be in the backcountry hunters and anglers anglers film festival the rendezvous the rendezvous yeah uh we made a we made a film about uh squirrel hunting on mules yeah that made the cut and you may have seen the film on youtube um but this is a this is a special backcountry hunters and anglers version that hunt took place on public land and uh they told me that there were multiple, upwards of a dozen squirrel hunting on mule videos submitted, yeah. but ours was the best. Yeah. And so a guy actually from BHA actually said that to me, and I believed him. I was like reading this email in slow motion. I was just like, you're kidding me. A dozen people submitted videos on squirrel hunting with the mules? This is ridiculous. Yeah. And then he put a little smiley face, and I realized he was kidding. <laughs> But so our film will be in that. I'm looking forward to that. The mules will be making a reappearance. Yeah. So if you watch that, Smokey, I yeah. mean, Smokey's pretty old. So assuming that he he lives through the departure. I mean, you know, like yeah. if Trey doesn't call me like tomorrow and go, man, Smokey <laughs> passed away. 
Yeah. Colby will be riding Smokey in Montana. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. not, I'll be hoofing it myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We'll have to figure out what you're going to be doing. I'll be I'll be on one mountain filming you on the other mountain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me and Izzy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right, guys, that's that will that'll conclude this and if you have some suggestion for us, you know, somehow contact us, let us know. And uh, hey, do us a favor, give us a review on iTunes. Yeah. That, uh, I think it helps get those five star. Yeah. Or four star. Hopefully yeah. not much less than three. Yeah. But get some reviews, and we really appreciate you listening. And hey, keep the wild places wild. That's where the bears live. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.